Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you so much for being with me today. I hope you had a good week last week and that you've been able to practice some of these things that we've been talking about. We're really talking about having the best year ever, and we're using this first 90 days to really set a platform of What do we need to be doing on a daily basis, on a constant basis? What are some really important habits that we want to create that really help us to have a really, really good year? And that each day, we really live each day to its fullest. And we don't kind of try to skip over a day, but we actually do that day well. And that helps us to continue to create that entire year. And so we've talked a lot about the idea of taking thoughts captive, about toxicity, and we talked about some toxic thinking last week. And I want you to think about this word toxicity, because this, this is an, a really important concept when you think about toxic thinking and what it does to your mind because of what it does to your brain. And so toxicity, that's the state of being toxic. It's, um, it's poisonous. We measure it in levels. We say level of toxicity. And it's an extremely harsh, malicious, or harmful quality. And so we also see toxicity um, in the same camp as something being viral, because toxicity has a tendency to go viral. So that means it spreads. It doesn't just localize itself. So if you get an infection in your skin, it has a tendency to keep spreading throughout wherever that wound is, until you get a handle on it. And so we think about antibiotics that help with infections. And so a lot of God's Word can be seen as a great antibiotic. It really does combat toxicity, negativity, harsh, destructive types of thinking. And so we know that we have that great verse in Proverbs 23, verse 7. It says, For as a man thinketh within, so he is. And we know that God thought the world into existence, and he thought you into existence. We see that in Psalms 139. He says, I knew you before you were formed. I created you in your mother's womb. How beautifully, wonderfully made you are. God speaks things into existence with words. That is why we call Jesus the Word of God. He is the Word in the flesh. And so we really understand the power of words and of thinking. So when we think about these toxic thoughts, and we did a couple last time, we talked about catastrophic thinking, we talked about this idea of I'm inadequate, and really weighing and measuring yourself against others and against the world and whatever it is that seems to be the latest fad and what you should be, could be, would be, ought to be doing if you were a really popular, beautiful, wonderful, successful person. And recognizing that the world standards really kind of go in fads and trends. And that we want to get our self-worth, our self-esteem, our guidance, our direction from how God tells us to be. He's the one that created us. He understands his creation. 
This is where we get wisdom. So when you say to yourself, I'm inadequate, that type of thinking can really impair any ability to be successful, with even in the workplace and as well as in your personal relationships. So if you think about inadequacy as a state of being, well, then you're automatically going to assume that you are less than. You're not measuring up, which is very different than I may have some inadequacy in different areas. Maybe I'm inadequate when it comes to financing or how I manage my finances. Well, I can fix that. I can certainly go and learn how to do better financial responsibility in my life. So inadequacy does not have to be a state of being. It doesn't have to be a qualifying word that defines you. And this is why we want to be very careful about the words that we use to describe ourselves within our own internal world. And we talked about self-care, being seen as selfish. And I gave you a long little mini lecture about how, how important it is that you care for you, that you take care of you, and that you take care of the one that God loves, and that he's counting on you to take care of yourself. And self-care is the opposite of selfish. It's far more selfish to not take care of yourself because then everybody else has to. And it usually costs a lot more money when people don't care about themselves. And it also is very toxic for you and I if we are to compare ourselves to others and say, well, their life is so much better than mine. Mine sucks. Mine doesn't measure up. Mine's not good. Mine's of no value. When we really want to be always comparing ourselves to ourselves, are we being the best version of ourselves? Is there something I can be doing about my life to cause my life to be a better reflection of who I am? Am I doing what God has called me to do? Am I doing, am I doing excellent work? Not perfect work, but excellent. I want to strive for excellence. I don't even know what perfect is. I've never seen perfect. So we want to make sure that we are comparing ourselves to ourselves. You really can't compare yourself to other people because everybody's unique. Nobody's the same. And not only are we unique in our makeup, but our lives then are unique. Nobody's life can ever be repeated. So it's important that if you're comparing, that you s compare like things. So if you want to say, wow, people my age seem to be struggling with these things or accomplishing these things, then you might say, okay, does that seem like it would fit for me? Do I want to take on that endeavor? Is that authentic to me versus the latest trend or the latest fad or what you think the world's expectations are of you? So it's easy to scroll through Instagram and look all over social media and compare yourself to movie stars and your neighbor and your children, your whoever, coworkers. But it's really not fair when you're doing this to yourself. Because there's always going to be a winner and a loser. Typically, you're going to be the one that loses. We're usually harder on ourselves than we are on other people. But think about this. If I compare myself to you and I come out looking better, what would that feel like to you? Does that help you? Does that actually help me? Because all of a sudden I feel better about me because I'm better than you. Not healthy, right? So we want to be comparing ourselves to ourselves. What was I like last year? What was I like 10 years ago? What am I striving for? 
What are the goals that I am really working toward? And how realistic am I being with myself? Because that leads to this other toxic thought that is, I'll be happy when. And we get caught up in the if only then trap. If I only had this, then it would be like this. If I knew this person, then I would have that. If I had this amount of money, if I looked a certain way, if I didn't have this ailment, if I had this love, whatever the if is, it's a self-defeating prophecy. Because what it automatically does is it sets me up to fail. It says, well, if I had this, then I'd be that. So I guess I'll never be that. When you want to say to yourself, you know, what is it that I do have? What has God equipped me with? What are the resources that I have? I mean, we all love those stories. When we read a story or watch a movie or hear about some hero that came from nothing and made himself something. We have these stories about amazing athletes and inventors, business owners who had horrible failures or came from poverty and were able to really create success. So what you want to say to yourself is, my happiness is always now. And if there's something now that is creating unhappiness for me, am I able to change it? And if I am, then should I? Should I put the effort into it? And if I want to put the effort into it, then I better make sure that I actually am going to make it happen and not just complain about it all the time. That I'm going to either say, you know, it's really not worth the effort, so I'm not going to let myself be unhappy about it because I'm actually choosing to not address it. Or I'm going to choose to address it. Well, then I, I, I better be addressing it. Because otherwise you sit in a static state and all you are then is miserable. And then you become a complainer that nothing has ever happened, nothing is ever working, and we commiserate. And then we look for other like-minded people that like to commiserate and like to complain. So make sure that you don't always forecast your happiness to be somewhere out in the future that you're hoping you're going to get to. That you want to find happy today. What are some things that are going on today that I can be happy with? It doesn't mean I'm going to settle for that. But it means that I can and should be present in my own day. How about this one? A really toxic behavior and habit that I often find clients doing is using should. I shouldn't. I should do this. I shouldn't do that. And we call it shoulding on yourself. Because there's this tendency to be using that should word as a way to self-condemn or to judge versus motivate. So if you find yourself saying, I should do this or I shouldn't do that, what I'd like to say is I want you to change your language and say, in the future, I'm going to commit to or saying something like, this is what I'm going to do to change this or this is one thing I'm going to address today. This is how I'm going to combat that. So that you're saying I statements that actually are action-oriented versus, wow, I really should go on a diet. I should save money. I should call my mom. I should call this person. I should, whatever, I should go on a diet. What will happen is you are just condemning yourself, and the more often that you do that, the less motivated you are to have any energy to change at all. 
So you don't judge your emotions and say, I shouldn't feel this way. You feel what you feel. One of the kindest things you could do to yourself is simply accept your feelings. It doesn't mean that they're always true, but it does mean they are very real and they are a part of you. And I want you to see your feelings as indicators. What is it telling me? It doesn't mean I believe everything I feel. The same way as I have indicators on the dashboard of my car. Everything doesn't mean it's happening, but I do look at the indicator and decide what I'm going to do about the indicator. I don't just automatically ignore it, and I don't judge my car for it. I simply take it as an indication of something I need to attend to. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about this idea of removing toxicity from your internal world. Welcome back. This is Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Make sure that if you are just tuning in, that you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and you can listen to this show in its entirety, as well as the other ones that we've been doing this entire year. And so we're talking about toxic thinking and the poison and the disease that it does to our mind and our hearts, and it actually changes our mindset, and it changes the way we experience the world. And it colors the way we perceive people and events. And so we talked that we ended that last segment with this, I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't be like this. And this shoulding on yourself. That you want to really be much more accepting of feelings. And don't say, I shouldn't feel this way. We feel what we feel. And if we could pick our feelings, we'd be happy all the time. But we don't pick our feelings. Our feelings occur. Some of it, we can produce feelings on our own with behaviors and with thinking. And some of them are just responses and reactions to whatever's going on in our life, whatever's going on inside our body, our mind. So accepting feelings so that you can actually know what you want to do with them, if you want to believe the feeling or not, if you want to act on the feeling. These are just simply a part of who you are. It's a part of your unique identity. What you feel is very personal, and that's why when people judge your feelings, it hurts so bad. If people judge my thoughts, it doesn't hurt nearly as badly as if they judge my ideals than if they judge my feelings. So God never judges our feelings. He does help us determine whether or not it's healthy, whether it's positive, whether it's a godly feeling, whether it's a feeling we want to go forward with, whether it's a feeling that we need to resist or combat. So think about this idea of not judging feelings, but simply investigating, observing them, accepting them. How about this one? How many of you have this thought? This kind of thing always happens to me. This always happens to me. I always have this problem. I always experience this thing. And see, we have this tendency to find a litany as, as, as a way to express ourselves. And we, there's this tendency that we go, oh, it always happens like this. And we get into this all or nothing thinking. And it's a catastrophizing way of thinking. And so it's this idea like, you know, the car cuts me off. Somebody's always cutting me off. I'm always at the end of the line. My luggage always gets lost. My flight is always delayed. 
You know, it's this kind of always thinking. And I want you to say to yourself, no, this doesn't always happen. Maybe it feels like a pattern. Maybe it feels like it's more common in my life. Maybe I need to investigate that and find out if there's something I'm doing to usher that that phenomenon into my life. But, But really please be careful about doing that always or nothing thinking. I always get this or nothing ever works out for me. Because like we've said, your mind is like a GPS. It starts to make happen what you tell it to make happen. So if I say to myself, I'm always late, there will be a tendency for me to follow through with that demand, with that command. So I want you to be very careful when you're doing this always thinking. How about this one? I wish I looked more like him or her. How often do we compare ourselves to other people? Now, this is common. We all do it. And I don't, there's not always something wrong with it. But when you start to rank people and you start to look at humans in a vertical manner and say, well, they're prettier, they're uglier, they're better dressed, they look ridiculous. They're fat, they're thin, they're tall, they're short. See, now we're starting to make people be better or worse than others instead of understanding that there's no repeated human. Everybody's unique. It's really difficult to compare things that aren't the same. It'd be one thing to compare an identical twin, I guess. But when you're comparing yourself to another person, you need to be very careful. Because one, one or more of you is going to go away wanting. So it typically is going to be you that walks away thinking you're less than. So please be careful about hating the way you look or hating the life you have and coveting or being envious of somebody else's. Because you really don't know what it's like to be in their life. You have no idea. You only know what you're observing. And so you're only seeing a snapshot of their life. And if you would come to get to know them, you might find out that there's a tremendous amount of heartache and hardship. So this is where we want to take ownership of our life and love our life as God loves us. And he died so that we could have this life. So we want to thank him for it. We want to do it well. We want to think on the things that are healthy. Think on the things that are life-giving that are supportive, that are good, righteous, pure, and holy. And really command our minds to think on those things that are good and not get into the comparison game of somebody's going to walk away a winner, someone's going to walk away a loser. Typically, it's going to be you or me, right? So be very careful when you are observing other people that if you do think that they look great, tell them. Everybody needs to hear it. You can appreciate someone looking good. But don't compare yourself to them and decide that they're better than you are and that you are somehow lacking. This is straight from the pit of hell, and the enemy loves it when you walk around hating the way God has made you, when he is very happy with his creation. He chose you, he wanted you, he loves you, and he really designed you for a reason. 
So that also leads us to the overall overarching should word again. I should have. I should have done this. I should have done that. I shouldn't have done this. I should have done this. So I would like you to send those little words to the moon, right? Put them in a spaceship. Remove them from your vocabulary. That shoulding yourself is extremely detrimental to anything positive that may be occurring for you. And it's going to get in the way of your success. And it's going to affect your relationships. You're going to go into each interaction with people in a less, less than, in a one-down position. And it leads to thinking such as, I'm an idiot. I'm so stupid. What's wrong with me? I shouldn't have done that. I should know better. Imagine, imagine if God talked to us that way. See, he knows the design of humans, and that is like poison. It's toxic to humans when you talk to them that way. Nothing positive comes. So really take, take time and listen to your thinking. What's going on in your mind? What's your conversations like with yourself? How do you talk to yourself about other people? How do you talk to yourself about yourself? And make sure that you're actually being your own best friend. You're with yourself 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You never get to get away from yourself, even after you die. You're going to be you forever. Making friends with you, loving you, living at peace with you is one of the greatest gifts that you could give yourself. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about how to have that great life, how to have that great year this year. Well, welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you so much for joining me. And I want to make sure that you take advantage of all the social media that we have. We're on Instagram and Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all of those places that you can find some inspiration, some motivation, and find out what, what I'm doing and where I'm speaking, where I'm performing. And so I always appreciate any ideas that you have about something you'd like me to speak on. So make sure that you send that to me. You can email that to me at CynthiaHyatt at gmail.com. You can also email me on Facebook. You can do it also through the website. So I love to hear from you. Now we are talking about shooting yourself and the way that we think and what goes on in our own mind and how much of that determines our overall experience of life and how that directly affects our success. And the way we experience life has so much to do with the way that we think and the things we think on. And we have that great verse about taking captive our thoughts. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, and it says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, I'm telling you, if that's the only thing that you do as a discipline, you're going to be amazed at how much farther along you are than the majority of people. Just that idea 
that you demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So what does that mean? It means things like, I demolish every argument that says I'm not worthy of love, that I don't matter, that I should have never been born, that I'm not worth time, I'm not worth effort, that I'm a failure. I demolish that argument. I argue against that, and I say, that's not what God is saying about me. I don't care if I have a bunch of evidence of actions that maybe that moment or that year or that particular episode wasn't very successful. That doesn't make me a failure. I can fail without being a failure. So it says we take captive every thought so that it is obedient to Christ. Now, what does that mean? That means that whatever you think needs to be obedient to Jesus, which means, is that how Jesus thinks? Is that what he says? Is that what he does? Is that how he expresses himself? Is that how he would talk to you? Is that how he would talk to your friend, to your children, to your coworker, to your boss? We need to take those thoughts and say, is that how Jesus would think? Is that a godly thought? And I don't mean in a legalistic manner and, you know, all of that. I mean simply saying, wow, would Jesus think like that? Because if he wouldn't, I probably shouldn't because it's not going to help me. It's not going to help me. Is that a thought that God would have? And if I don't know how God thinks, then ask him. Say, God, I want to know your thoughts. One of the best ways to know the way God thinks, read the Bible. You get to know all of his thoughts. He's put them down. So what does this really mean? See, taking captive thoughts simply means you're gaining control over what you think and about yourself and your life. And so what you put in your mind has an effect on what you think. Have you ever thought about what you think? This is important to understand that you are aware of your thoughts and thinking about your thoughts. So remember those scary movies you watched as a kid and you had nightmares after that? Well, it doesn't take long to realize that one of the ways to avoid nightmares was to stop watching really scary movies. So God has provided a way to overcome unhealthy thoughts and behaviors and gain self-control. And it's taking charge of your life in his way. And that is through your thinking. The best way to get control of your life is to control your thoughts. So we're going to talk about six ways to do this, to take captive thoughts. And one of the, the places I got some of this information was from crossrock.com. Um, and I love that site. They have some really, really good information. And so when we talk about this idea of ca- taking captive your thoughts, it means that you're not captivated by them, that you're not in bondage to your own thinking, that your thoughts, whether they're random or initiated out of hurt, out of guilt, out of fear, that you're not held captive by them. That you have a mind that is able to override thinking. You have a mind that allows you to choose how you think and to take responsibility for how you think so that you make sure that is that thinking actually helping me? Even if it feels natural, even if it seems to make sense, 
Would I say that to somebody else? What if someone heard that outside of me? This is Cynthia High with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the last segment as we talk about ways to take thoughts captive. Well, good afternoon. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you so much for joining me today and being a part of this show, just a part of this community. So I want to make sure that you visit the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Lots of things on there for you. There's some videos of me singing. There's uh, some inspirational things. We have blogs as well that kind of correspond with the shows that that we do. And and we certainly have... um, things that I'm going to be doing in the future, ways to get some of the books that I've written. Uh, And I love it when I hear from you and that you let me know what you think about some of the social media that we're doing because it really is to inspire you and to encourage you. And make sure that if you have an idea for a show, if you want me to speak on something about something, I love it. So just make sure you email it to me at CynthiaHyatt at gmail.com or you can email me through the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Dot com and just let me know, say, hey, you know, would you take some time and talk about this particular subject? Or I was wondering about this, or how does this work? So I would love to hear from, hear from you on that. So we are talking about this idea of taking thoughts captive. And I love this verse. This is one of my um, memory verses that I like to repeat to myself. And this is Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. And it tells us, that we are to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And that's as simple as one of the common thoughts that the majority of American women have is, oh, I'm so fat. I'm so fat. So I say to people, I say, you know what? You need to take that thought captive, because what does that thought really imply? It's not just... Because, see, it's not just stating a fact. There are many, you know, cultures that that we have seen throughout time that don't think that skinny women are pretty. All, all through history, we have seen this. Usually skinny women were seen as the poor women. And so in our culture, if a woman says, oh, I'm so fat, it's always a negative. It's always saying I'm ugly. I don't measure up. Everybody's prettier than me. I'm embarrassed about my body. I don't look good. Maybe I should stay home, right? So we take that thought captive and we say, you know what? I'm not going to let that thought, that description define me. That is not what God would say to me. It's not how Jesus would talk about me. And I need to replace that with a different thought. And that thought may be something as simple as, you know, I think I'm going to eat a little bit differently today. I don't know if I'm going to do it for the rest of my life, but maybe for today. Maybe I'm going to eat breakfast this morning. And just try something new. So I'm going to take it and completely obliterate that negative thought. I'm going to take it captive so it doesn't have control over me and exalt itself over God and how God thinks about me. And I'm going to simply replace it with something different that leads me into a different direction. So one of the first things that we do when we are working on taking captive thoughts is we take responsibility for them. I don't want you to tell me that you don't know what you think. See, I, I, many times I will ask clients, you know, what are you feeling or what do you think? They're like, I don't know. Now, how is that possible? You guys, really, how is that possible? 
How do you not know what you're thinking? You may not want to know. You may not want to acknowledge it. You may not want to think about it. But we do know what we're thinking. So we really accept responsibility for what our thoughts are. And so that you then have the ability to exercise control over your thoughts. See, God warned Cain, one of the first children born on the planet outside of the garden. He warned Cain to focus his mind on the right things. But Cain chose to think about the wrong things, anger and jealousy. Well, what did that lead him to? Murderous actions. He had built an entire case in his mind of why it was acceptable and right for him to murder his brother. Premeditated murder. So are you willing to admit that you can, with God's help, regain control of your thoughts? And think enabling thoughts instead of disabling thoughts. That you think thoughts that are toward you, not against you. That doesn't mean that we act like Pollyanna and we deny reality. It means that we practice kindness, comfort, goodness. We don't ridicule ourselves. We don't judge ourselves. We do speak the truth to ourselves. But God speaks the truth to us, and he sets us free. And it doesn't mean that the truth is always pleasant. But the truth can set us free. When it's laced with judgment, derisiveness, anger, disgust, malice, even if it is true, it doesn't set us free. So this next one, think about this. Your mind, not just your behavior, has to change. We do this every day, every hour of every day as as therapists. Because we know that our thinking leads to actions. And our actions then also create feelings. And those feelings then lead us to more thinking. That many times leads us to more action. And it becomes a negative feedback loop. So sometimes we have a feeling that causes us to think, and then we act. So maybe I'm feeling less than. This is the juncture that is very important. If I feel less than, am I going to let my mind just come up with something that talks about why I'm less than? Or am I going to use my mind to help that feeling and say, you know, Feeling less than is a common feeling. A lot of times we feel less than. How does God see me? Does he see me less than? Or is this the way society has structured things? And am I going to fall into the way society thinks, the way society feels? Or am I going to ask God for how I should be thinking and feeling? And am I going to line up my heart and my mind with the truth that comes from God? Because that makes it much better, me much better able to practice good behaviors. Behaviors that cause me to feel better about myself. So I end up turning it around completely instead of falling into the chasm of self-hatred. So your mind, not just your behavior, has to change. This is the being renewed in our mind. So this next thing I want you to think about, think through your problems rather than just react to them. So instead of just thinking about how bad the problem is or how stupid you are for having the problem, judging yourself for the problem, right? 
being mad at yourself, comparing yourself to others. I want you to really think through the problem. I want you to use the mind that God has given you to problem solve, not to beat yourself up. That's not what our thoughts are for. That's our mind is not to help us beat ourselves up with. It's kind of like using your computer inappropriately. If you use your computer to go to all the places that are negative, it's not doing its job. The computer is supposed to help you research, organize, plan, right? So think about this whole issue of problem solving rather than just reacting to them. So that I get a little bit of distance and some ability to observe my problem and say, okay, here's the problem as I'm seeing it. What are some steps I can take? What can I rationally and logically do about this problem? How much of it can I change? How quickly can I change it? Is there someone that might need to, I might need to include in this problem-solving whole entire process because I can't do it all by myself? Do I need to get some help with it? Do I need to research it? Everybody has problems. And absolutely, a lot of our problems are some that we've created ourselves. But God knows these things. He understands these things. And he is not angry with us for having problems. He wants to help. And he gave us these amazing minds that if we will take advantage of them, can actually help us with problem solving, not just condemn us more and create more problems for us. So when you experience these difficult challenges, you, you, you can react to them and think yourself into despair, right? Or you can look forward to the next opportunity and ask yourself, hey, what did I learn from that failure? What did I learn from that problem? What can I take away from that so that I don't repeat it? So is your first thought, I'll never do anything right? Is your first thought, I'm such a failure? I'm such an idiot. I'm so stupid. Are those your first thoughts? Because that's really where you want to intervene very quickly. Because you're going to be trapped by these disabling thoughts. So you can take those captive. You are capable of getting out of your shame, getting out of despair, getting out of hopelessness and anger. When you really address your thoughts, you know, I, I could wrestle with my feelings till the day is long. I wish I could control all of my feelings and choose my feelings. I, don't, I really don't choose my feelings. I do choose my thoughts, though. See, that is where much of the control, much of the power is. It's your thinking. By the time you have a feeling, you've already thought about it. And when you think about it, and then you have the feeling, and you think about the feeling you usually then have an action that corresponds with it. So I want you to go to what you're thinking and alter that so that you then produce different feelings which compel you to do much more positive behaviors. So what does Romans chapter 12, verse 21 say? Again, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul urges us to do this. He tells us to confront those disabling thoughts, to turn them over to God, to become who he sees you and who he sees that you can be. And it's going to take some, some effort. It's going to take some, some work. 
Because I don't always like to battle with my thoughts. I'd rather just feel good. But I have a discipline of listening and hearing how I think and deciding whether or not I'm going to go forward with that thought. So it takes work to take thoughts captive each time they pop into your mind. But it is possible to do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to choose to focus your thoughts on the right things. You can discipline your mind. You can resist negative thinking. You can know when you are falling down the rabbit hole and thinking a whole bunch of things that are not helpful to you, that are not inspiring to you. So we need to think on those things that are good, that are righteous, that are true, that are pure and holy, lovely, admirable. That's Philippians chapter 4, 8. And when we think on those things, God promises he's going to give us peace. And so that we sometimes just need to absolutely walk away from a thought, not even fight with it, just walk away from it and choose to think different things. And lastly, it is possible. It's not easy to retrain your thoughts. It's not easy to respond to a new Christ-like way of thinking. But take heart. God really is going to empower you to focus your mind on the right things, and it does become easier. I have become better at it over the years. I catch it more quickly, and I know the benefits when I actually will rein in that negative thinking. And you can develop a new frame of reference, and it will be based on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. It is possible to live a life that is aware of thinking and aware of your thoughts and that you can take them captive. And God does this truly through the Holy Spirit. So God bless you today. Really take captive those thoughts to come against you and that you are then able to exalt God. He has made you. He loves you. He wants you to enjoy how he's made you. So God bless you. Have a great week. I'll talk to you next week. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.